Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. But the title for today is Knocking on Heaven's Door, Matthew 7, 7-8. And to, to start us off, I've asked the worship team to sing a special song. We've tweaked the words a little bit, but I think most of you will recognize it. And now it fits Matthew 7, 7-8. handed that to him like just two days ago it's amazing it just we're just so blessed to have a team that can yeah, yeah better than the original yeah that's and those who know the song know we tweak the words a little bit is, is, aren't those, isn't it powerful to hear the words 
those words from Matthew 7, 7 to 8, a song like that. And, uh, and I hope you go on the podcast, listen to it, listen to it, and like remember those words because they're really powerful. Because we're going to see that that's what Jesus encouraged us, us to do today, to knock on heaven's door. Let's start by praying. Father, we thank you for our worship team. We thank you for each person that you've brought into the door today. We know we're all here for a purpose. You're going to speak to our hearts through the worship, through the word, and, and you want to help us take steps of faith. We just pray for your mercy and grace now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's start with Matthew 7, 7 to 8. And once again, I already told you the page, page 685 in this Bible. But it starts off, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. And we see three steps here, three steps in the prayer process that lead to three promises from Jesus. And the first one, the first step which leads to a promise is ask, and it will be, and it shall be given to you. And prayer is simply asking, simply asking. There's a, I saw something in the Reader's Digest while back that I saved on asking, and I stuck it into this spot here. It says, some things you're not allowed to ask. Five things don't ask. Number one, are you asleep? Number two, now what's the matter? Number three, have I kept you waiting? Number four, you don't remember me, do you? Number five, will you promise not to get mad if I ask you something? So those are some things we're not supposed to ask, but that's not the way in prayer. In prayer, there are no holds barred. Jesus has asked. We're, we're, we're encouraged to ask, to ask. Now, he may not give us the answer we want. We'll get to that a little bit later. But we're encouraged to ask. Jesus wants us to ask. That's what he wants. The first step in the prayer, pro- the prayer process to receiving our promises is to ask. The second one is seek and you will find. The second step is seeking the promises and you will find. This is something more intentional than asking. This is uh, more intentional than that this is seeking. And as we pray and as we ask, we should be also seeking. And the best place to seek is in God's word. We should seek in his word. We should read it and study God's word and, and memorize verses that jump out at us and, and meditate on it. Just sit and, and meditate. Just let let God speak to us about what we just read, to meditate. And as we, as we seek God's answers, as we're reading his word and studying his word, many times his answer to a prayer will jump out of the page. You ever have that happen? It's like, like somebody highlighted a verse for us and it just hits us in our head and in our, our heart and just speaks to us. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the main way that God speaks to us is through his word. And, and it, many times that's how we get his answer. It just jumps out of the page as we're seeking. And as we seek his will, many times the Holy Spirit will speak to us as we meditate on something. The Holy Spirit will speak to us and lead us a certain direction. That's how, that's, he'll, he'll do that as we seek God's purpose in our life and his answers. And also as we listen to biblical preaching. Maybe there's a lot of biblical preaching out there on different podcasts and sites and TV some on TV. Uh, there's a lot of good teaching. There's a lot of good ways to, to keep getting grounded. That's really important. And also to seek godly counsel. Find mature Christian believers that, that can help lead, give you leading and encouragement and help you know what steps to take. There's a lot of it. You get a lot of Christian, uh, mature Christian believers that you can turn to and give you that counsel. That's how God works. He works through other people giving us godly counsel. Make sure it's godly. Check it against the Bible, right? 
But as we do that, as we seek, we'll learn to understand what God's promises are. And we'll learn to claim those promises. Once we understand his promises, we learn to claim his promises. Now, when I say claim his promises, I'm not talking about name it, claim it. You, know, you see that on TV all the time, these, these certain guys. You just believe something and you want something, you name it and you claim it. You tell God what you want and you believe it hard enough and he's got to give it to you. you know? That's not what I'm talking about. That's, that's a perversion of God's gospel. That's a perversion of the Bible. God is not a gumball God. You put in your penny prayer and out pops your gumball answer. Right? You know, it's, that's not, God's not a gumball machine. Right? There's a lot more to it because there's, there's some, when we understand the promises, we understand that they have to be God's will before we can claim a promise. It has to be God's will for our life. First John 5, 14. This is the confidence that we have. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. It has to be his will. That's the whole point of prayer, really. When, we, when we're praying... When we're praying, we are praying and asking for something, but as we keep on praying, as we keep on studying the Word, as we keep on talking to other believers, and as we keep on waiting on God, we start, our prayers many times will change. Why are they changing? Because we start to get in sync with what God wants. We start to follow the Holy Spirit in our prayer. We're not praying what we want anymore. We're starting to ask God, what do you want me to be praying? It's like, it's like you ever see that synchronize your watches, you know, before there's a special mission or a military thing or mission impossible. They all synchronize their watches. That's what prayer does it synchronizes us to get in tune in tune with what god wants for our life so that's an important thing it has to be god's will we'll focus our prayers as we pray we'll start to focus our prayers connected where god wants also not only god's will but it has to be for god's glory and god's kingdom anything we pray but isn't for his glory it's not for his kingdom we know we can scratch it off the list we shouldn't be praying about that remember the lord's prayer your hallowed be your name your kingdom come. Those are all the tests for prayer. Make sure that it that's, goes along with what God's glory in his kingdom. Also, we, this is an important one. It has to be for our ultimate good. See, there's a lot of good things that we pray for, but they're not for our ultimate good. If we were given those things, it may be a good thing, but it, when we, if we were to get it, it wouldn't be what God, the, the best that God wants for our life. And that's what, that's what we're supposed to be praying for is what is God's ultimate good for our life. There's a lot of things. Think about your life. There's a lot of things w- that you've probably prayed for that if you were to have gotten them, where would you be today? <laughs> Not here, right? You know, because we ask for a lot of things that we can see down the road are very bad. We can see that why God said no. Now, 20 years later, 10 years later, a year later, whatever, we can often see that. I know every Christmas, and I've told you this before, but it's a good illustration of what I'm saying. Every Christmas, my dad says, did you get your crossbow? I'm like, no, I didn't get it. You know, I'm still waiting for my crossbow. Because when I was a young kid, maybe I was 11-ish, I'm trying to remember, I didn't get a BB gun. So I asked for a crossbow, and I really wanted a crossbow. I wanted it really, really bad. And so I just kept asking, asking for a crossbow, praying for, a, you know, just, God, I need a crossbow. And I kept bugging my parents. And my parents were like, you are not getting a crossbow. There's no way in the world we're going to give you a crossbow. But I kept asking, asking, asking. There's a good reason why I didn't get a crossbow. But we'll get to that in a minute. But, but, but I, finally my dad in exasperation, just joking, must have said to me something like, oh, yeah, you're going to get a crossbow. Like that, right? But I took it like, yes, you're going to get a crossbow. So I was so excited. I couldn't wait for Christmas. And when it got Christmas morning, opened all my presents, got to the end, there was no crossbow. I'm like, where's my crossbow? 
He goes, my dad's like, what are you talking about? I go, you said you were going to give me a crossbow. He goes, I never said that I was you know, upset. I was really upset. My mom was like, why would you tell him that? I didn't tell him that. You know, and then, you know how that goes. And, and, uh, and he did tell me that. And he goes, well, you're still not getting it, my mom says. You know, so so I, I was crushed. But let me just, I'll just make a prediction. If I would gotten that crossbow, I'd probably be in jail right now still. You know, because... because just having a bow and arrow, I got one of those little plastic bow and arrows. They could shoot into target, the hay target. I, I remember using these bow and arrows, and, and I remember one time using it, and we weren't real, I wasn't real careful, that, that wimpy bow and arrow, you know. And, and I remember shooting it one time, and at my hay target would go into the bales of hay. I remember my sister was running across as I was shooting it, and I just remember her hair flowing behind her head and the arrow going through her hair as she went by. And, and she's like, what are you doing? I go, stay out of my way, you know, and I kept shooting it. And so, you know, with a crossbow, that could have been a little more lethal. And I remember the other game I liked to play with all the neighborhood kids. we get all the neighborhood kids in the field, and we get them on. I would aim the arrow straight up and shoot it, and all the kids would scatter. And whoever, whoever the arrow fell closest to, they were out of the game, right? And uh, so it's a good thing I didn't get that crossbow. And you guys are laughing about it. I bet you've prayed for things. That would have been a lot worse than a crossbow in your life. If you look back, if I could have just married, you know, God, let me marry this person or do this or have this or go this place. And, and God said no, and it would have been just as bad for us to have that, right? And that's why God, God, he will never answer a prayer that's not for our ultimate good. So we ask, we seek, and then the next part, the next step in prayer is to knock, and the door will be open to you. The door, that's the third promise. If we take that third step, is the door will be open. Now this is something more active than asking and seeking. This involves acting. This involves acting on our prayer through faith. And many times God waits until we take a step of faith. Sound familiar? I'm like a broken record with this, right? Many times God waits until we take a step of faith before he opens the door that we prayed for. He waits till we do something more active. And our faith allows us to trust God. Whatever the outcome of our knocking is, it allows us to trust God for that outcome. In fact, uh, someone sent me an email, but just a little quote. It says, one door closes, another opens. Many times we're knocking on one door, and what does God do? He opens a different door. He opens a different one. It might not be the door we expected to open, but that's where our faith comes in. That's where, where trusting God comes in in this, this, this whole process, right? Our faith helps us this. So we, we ask, we seek, we knock, totally trusting God. Totally trusting him. And many times it's quite an adventure. Many times we have to learn to be very, very dependent. I, I've told this story back when we did the book of Joshua. Some of you might, some of you might remember who were here for Joshua. But I, we had this um, ministry. that uh, This illustrates this well, I think. kind of hit me when I woke up in the middle of the night with sick kids and everything last night. But uh, I was awake for a little while. So anyway, the, we had this youth ministry. And I had a youth group in Connecticut, but part of the youth ministry is we had an inner city youth ministry, and we would go down, and I would bring kids from the inner city to be part of our youth group. And we had a van ministry on Wednesday nights. We'd pick them up, bring them to the youth group. And I had a guy who usually did it, and one week he couldn't do it, so I needed a van driver to drive the kids home after youth group. And I asked, and no one would go. One of the youth leaders, his name was Joe. He's a real character, as you'll hear in a minute. He says, uh, I won't drive, but I'll ride along. I'll ride shotgun. 
Well, I'll take that. I'm riding to a very dangerous area. I'll take shotgun. So uh, he, he volunteered to ride along. And so we loaded up the van with all these kids. And they're a wild bunch. Great kids. Loved them. But they were, they were wild, you know, just wild. And as we enter into the, we get, start driving, I enter into, from Trumbull, this is a safe town Trumbull. We entered into Bridgeport, Connecticut, pretty rough town. Entered the town line, start going in. I realized there was no, the, the gas was empty on the van. I'm like, oh, no, why didn't, who used this van before? You know, I'm, I'm all ticked off. And so I reached for my wallet, and I don't have it. Because I wasn't expecting to drive. I just jumped in, grabbed the keys, jumped in, and, and drove. So I don't have a wallet, don't have any gas, and we're, we're going to run out of gas, right? And I said, guys, we're almost out of gas. And the kids panicked. They're like, you can't run out of gas. Even they were scared, you know, they lived there. You, know? you can't run out of gas here. You know, and uh, you, no, no, you'll be, you'll be sorry if you run out of gas. <laughs> they're, they're telling me, I, you know, I'm going to st- stand out in Bridgeport, Connecticut, you know, so uh, with my van and, and, and all. And so, so um, uh, and, and there's a reason for that. The, the former driver, the guy who usually drove, one time he had to stop the van. There was a brawl going on in the middle of the street, this gang fight, and he stopped and couldn't get through. And he said, well, he was from Bridgeport originally. He said, I'm going to get out and try to break things up. He got out. And I came and checked him out of the hospital the next day. Somebody hit him in the back of the head with a pipe. <laughs> and I had to go to the police station to get our van, which was impounded. <laughs> so there's a reason for, you know, them panicking here, right? It's a, and, and really, it, you drive into where they live. It was called Father Panic Village. It was P-A-N-N-I-C-K, but we always call it P-A-N-I-C because it was like a panic place. It was so bad. They, the, about a year after I left, they bulldozed it. It was just unbelievable. It was, it was like one of those movies just unbelievable right people literally had like there was people with uzis on the street it was crazy right so so they are like so they were like you can't run out if, if if a car was stopped there and left there it was stripped like quick it was one of like you know you see on the movies they strip they really did they just stripped the car down right i don't know what they're gonna do with an old church van it's all beat up but anyway uh so they're like you can't run out so i said okay who has money who so i asked who has money and, and I didn't have any money. And they all start looking through their pockets, these kids. And they came up with like, like 50 cents. And I said, <laughs> okay, start looking through the van. So I said, okay, we, I asked. Now, now start seeking. Let's search through the van. So we seek. We, they started taking the, you know, an old church van. They started pulling up the rug and the seats. And, and, and there's change everywhere, you know, pennies and nickels. And they came up with more. They finally get it. And they had counted up. They said, 97 cents. I said, I'll take it. Okay, give it here. Give it here. And I took it. And I said, okay. And now we got to find a gas station to open. It's Wednesday night late, you know, 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And, I, and there was a gas station lit up right near the village, right near Father Panic Village. So I said, this is perfect. So I pulled in. I walked up to the lady. She's behind this glass, plated, bulletproof, you know, plated plastic thing. You know, and I said, uh, I put it in the thing. I said, 97 cents, please. And she just tapped on the glass right above my head. And I looked up and it said, minimum charge $1. I said, oh, yeah, I know, but all I have is 97 cents. So, you know, <laughs> she said, I had the good fortune of having a, a, one of the gas station Nazis, right? You know, you know, tapped on the glass again. And, and I don't remember if I knocked on the glass, or I, but I wanted to pound on it. And I put my face up. Please, look at me. I'm going to the Father Panic Village, you know, without gas. And she's like, leave now or I'll call the police. 
And, and I should have said, please do. They'll probably give me three cents. You know, but but I, I, kinda, I panicked. I said, oh, I don't, don't want to be arrested. So I got in the van. I said, guys, we're going to have to go for it. <gasps> they're like, you know, you know. So I said, start praying. Start praying. And they all started praying. You know, we had a little, little Pentecostal service right there in the van. And we're, you know, we're, we're driving and praying. I'm like, God, please, 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 please. You know, and, uh, and we, 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 I said, guys, I'm just... I might stop, I might not. I might just coast, jump out. You know, it was like paratroopers. You know, like they're getting out of the van really, really fast. And, and they went running for the village because they ran every time. It was dangerous. You don't want to be out at their dark. They ran for their houses, their little apartments there. And, and I started driving. And I'm like, God, please, 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 because we're still not safe. We get out of Bridgeport. And we're driving. And we start getting close to the Trumbull line. I'm so I'm like, God, please help us. Please help us. And we just crossed the line. I said, Joe, we're going to make it. We're, we're going to live. This is great. God answered our prayers. He goes, oh, that's nice. Want to stop and get something to eat? Because there's a diner right there. I said, well, what, 97 cents? What are we going to get for 97 cents? He goes, oh, I got money. I go, what do you mean you have money? He goes, I go, why didn't you give it to me for the gas? He goes, I didn't want to waste it on gas. I want to stop it and get something to eat with you. I said, Joe, look at me. Dead men don't eat. If you're dead, you don't eat, Joe. You don't. We're not stopping anywhere. And I drove back. I was so mad, you know. And, and, and now, here's the thing. First thing, I should have killed Joe. But uh, second thing, uh, how, how should we pray? Same way. That's how God wants us praying. He wants us to pray the, the same way that we keep asking Keep seeking, keep knocking, desperately doing that. Whatever we're facing in our life, he wants us to live like that. That's living by grace, depending, dependence, depending on him. That's part of it. But also, there's a lesson in trust here, too. And I hate to use Joe as an example. But you know what? In our life, in our panic, in our struggles, in our asking, seeking, knocking, guess who's riding shotgun for us? God is. We don't have crazy Joe. We have God. We have God. You know what? He's got all that we need right in his pocket. And he knows the right time to pull it out of his pocket. He knows just the right time. He's waiting for just the right moment. But I know what we're all thinking. I'm thinking the same thing. What if God doesn't answer? He always does. He always answers. It's either yes, no, or maybe. No, not maybe. So he should have said, oh, wait, God never says maybe. Yes, no, or thank you, wait. (laughs) God never says maybe. He says wait, right? He says wait. Why does he so often keep us waiting? The context of this verse, there's the same passage in Luke, and let's just look over there real quickly. In Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 8 is the context. Jesus tells a parable with the same thing. He says, verse 5, Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are in bed with me. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will... Get up and give him as much as he needs. Verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. The context, Jesus talks about persevering in prayer. 
persevering in our prayer and in our, in our faith and in our life. I call this the Emily Principle. If you've ever spent any time at my house and spent any time with Emily, you know I am called the Emily Principle. If Emily wants something, she does not stop asking. She just keeps going and keeps going and Energizer Bunny keeps going, right? And will never let it drop until she gets what she wants or you really say no and threaten her with something, right? Because uh, she is, per- she just, I've got to funnel this, got to funnel this, right? Uh, so it's uh, going to become something good if I can just funnel this, right? But, uh, but that's the Emily principle, persevering. And that's what we're supposed to be like in prayer is, is keep coming to God. Why? Why does God want us to persevere like that? James 1, 2 to 4. Remember when we did the book of James? We studied the book of James. James 1, 2 to 4. God's doing something. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Why does God ask us to persevere? Why does he put us through difficult times and keep causing us to persevere? Because our coach is getting us into shape. He's trying to complete us. He's trying to mature us. Do any of us like this? No, we don't like it. That's okay, though. We don't like when the coach says run an extra mile, right? Extra 100 push-ups. We don't like it. But God is doing something in our life. He's using trials Plus perseverance equals maturity and a complete faith. He's testing us. Do we really want what we're praying for? Will we appreciate it when we get it? He doesn't want a bunch of spoiled babies out there. Wow, wow, gimme, 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 gimme. And that's what will stay if we get what we want when we want it. If every time we said, God, give me this, and he gave it to us, what do we become? We're not going to mature in our faith. We're just going to be spoiled babies, right? Just like kids. You can't do that with kids. You spoil them. Whenever, when even spiritual things, even when something comes to us too easy, what do we become? Lazy and proud. That goes for work, that goes for school, that goes for sports, that goes for anything in our life. When something comes too easy to someone, they become lazy and proud and they waste it. And that even goes for the spiritual graces, that even goes for spiritual gifts. It goes spiritually, physically, anything. It's the truth. And that's why God puts us, puts us through this. How is God speaking to us? What is one area of our life? Think of one area of our life that he's calling us to pray about. Something that's really heavy on our heart right now to pray about. What step are we on with this area? Maybe we're stuck on one of these steps. Maybe it's asking. Maybe it's seeking. Maybe it's knocking. What step are we on? with these steps and what's the next step that we need to take whatever we're going through ask to the seek to the knock what is he calling us to do will we persevere will we keep asking even when God is not on our timetable (laughs) God's got an interesting time schedule if only he would listen to me you ever feel like that if only God would just listen to me. Do it in my time. <laughs> what if he doesn't work on our time schedule? We keep trusting and keep persevering. That's why the one-year Christian history, I don't know if you've start, a lot of you guys have started that. I love that because it shows that God is on such 
a different time schedule. I'm just going to read you one from June 18th that I saved for this day. William Tyndale was born 1494, educated at Oxford, then at Cambridge. He became a priest. He joined the Reformation, finally, where he felt he needed to, when he, when he joined the Reformation, he felt that he needed to study the Greek New Testament. Because it, uh, while he was studying it, he became convinced that England would never be evangelized using the Latin Bible because it was impossible for the lay people to understand it. They had to have their scripture in their, their mother tongue that they could understand. If you're gonna, people were going to grow spiritually, they had to have the Bible in their language, which was English. However, Tyndale's efforts to get permission from the Bishop of London to translate the Bible into English were unsuccessful, so he left England. It's hard for us to even imagine this today, right? But at one time, you could not read the Bible in your language. Only, only a few people could read the Bible. Tyndale settled in Antwerp. He translated the Greek New Testament and parts of the Hebrew Old Testament into English. His first English New Testament was printed in Germany in 1525. 1525. Tyndale's English Bibles were smuggled in England, where the Archbishop of Canterbury was very upset, began attacking him. Finally, on June 18th, Thomas Wolseley, the English Cardinal, ordered that Tyndale be arrested, and he uh, said, go find this guy. It took them seven years to track him down. They finally found him in Brussels, arrested him, put him in a cold dungeon basement for 18 months before his trial. A list of charges were brought up against him, and this is what he was charged with. He was charged with that he was teaching that you could be justified by faith alone, hmm. and that to believe in the forgiveness of sins and to embrace the mercy offered in the gospel was enough for salvation. Hmm. Sounds a lot like what we teach. Right from the Bible, right? Now you know why they didn't want any people reading the Bible, because that's what they would find. Uh, then he was, early 40s, he was found guilty at his trial. He was condemned to death as a heretic. Referring to the king's opposition to his English Bible, Tyndale said, Lord, he prayed this, Lord, open the eyes, oh, I'm sorry, open the king of England's eyes. That was his prayer. Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Then William Tyndale was strangled and his body burned. The year that Tyndale died, his last translation of the New Testament was still circulating in England. The king at that time was King Henry VIII, real spiritual guy, right? When the, when the translation was first presented him, the king not realizing that Tyndale was the one who translated the New Testament, proclaimed, in God's name, let it go abroad among the people. Tyndale's Bible. Two years later, the king directed that every church in England display one book of the whole Bible in English, Tyndale's dying prayer was answered. Tyndale's Bible translations were his lasting legacy. They were so well done that they made up 90% of the wording of the King James Version, published 100 years later, and 75% of the wordings of the Revised Standard Version of 1952. And then it reflects here. It says, some of our prayer requests may not be answered in our lifetime, but that doesn't mean they won't ever be. 
Which of your prayers are you are which of your prayers are you afraid that may fit into this category? Okay. You do the math. God didn't answer his prayers until when? After he was dead. But he prayed in faith. He asked, he sought, he knocked. He worked on that Bible. And his prayers were answered. But see, God's on a whole different timetable. And I hope our prayers don't take till we're gone. I hope we get to see most of the answers to our prayer. But the point is this. God's on a whole different timetable. Will we keep on seeking, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking in faith? With maybe it's a temptation that we're facing to keep on fighting, keep ask, seek, and knock for the grace, no matter how long it takes. And maybe that struggle we're facing is God's grace. It's to keep us humble and keep us dependent and keep us... Uh, that's his purpose is accomplishing his purpose in our life. Maybe it's witnessing, praying for a loved one or praying for a friend that we have or maybe an enemy, praying for their salvation. Maybe will we keep on praying for that person no matter how hopeless it seems. Maybe oh, For all of our life, maybe it's our marriage that we need to keep on doing this for. Maybe it's our kids. We want our kids to go to this college and become X, Y, and Z, do this in their life. But God has them on a detour, allowing them to go on a detour for his purpose. Who knows why? Maybe it's our job. Maybe it's our finances. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's loneliness. Whatever it is, will we keep on by faith asking, seeking, and knocking? And I'm going to give you a warning. If you decide to take these steps... As soon as you do, everything's going to be great. I'm kidding. As soon as, if you decide to really start to pray for an area of your life, guess what's going to happen usually? It's going to get worse. It's called the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego principle. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? When they took their stand against Nebuchadnezzar and said, we won't bow down to the idol? What did Nebuchadnezzar do to that, that furnace? Seven times hotter. He heated up seven times hotter. But what happened? They were thrown in, and what happened? Only the ropes were burned off. The bondages. God will allow it to get hotter. The attacks will get hotter. The enemy's going to attack us that much hotter, but God's going to protect us, and he's going to use it to get rid of the bondages in our life, the garbage in our life. Nothing good is going to be burned off. It's just that. But expect it. God will use it to humble us and make us dependent. And when the answer comes, we're not going to be like spoiled babies. When the answer comes to these prayers, we're going to be... We're going to appreciate it. We're going to experience supernatural joy when these answers come because we persevered. And we grew to a place spiritually that we can appreciate the answer to that prayer. What's the one thing this week, as we get ready to close in prayer, what's the one thing in this week that you're going to ask, seek, and knock about and take that next step of faith that God is calling us to take? I put a quote in the... In the bulletin, I'm going to put it in next week too as we do the second part of this. And someone, someone told, one, of the, one of my friends gave me this recently. This is a great quote. Take this quote, write down Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Put them side by side on, side on a card and keep them somewhere that you will see this every day. But this is a great quote. It says, if the request is wrong, God says no. If you are wrong, God says grow if the timing is wrong, God says, slow. Now get this. If the request is right, 
and you are right, and the timing is right, God says, go. Isn't that powerful? I thought that was a great, great quote. Maybe you're here today, and your first step, you're not even a Christian yet, but your first step is becoming a Christian. Your first step is putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Before you can take these other steps of faith, your first step is to put your faith in in Jesus Christ, to become a child of God, to surrender your life to him. That's the first step. In fact, Revelation 3.20 says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus talking. If anyone opens the door, I will, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is standing at the door, knocking, waiting for us to open that door to our heart. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek for me. You will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. God promises that. If we listen to the, his knocking and we really seek for him, we will find him. And he wants to come into our hearts. He wants us to give, up, he wants us to give him our lives. He wants us to put our faith in him. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for us. To take our place on that cross. To pay for our sins. So that we could be forgiven. And become children of God. And live a whole brand new life of freedom and faith. Have you ever taken that step of faith? Let's pray. As we go this time of prayer. How is God's spirit speaking to us? Maybe we're already a Christian, but he's calling us to, to, to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking and persevere. Maybe it's a step in this process that we need to take. Maybe it's trusting him in this process, surrendering to him. Maybe it's letting him grow us through this Whatever the Holy Spirit's speaking, let's take some time here to pray and to talk to God about this. But while we're praying, for those who have never put their faith in Jesus Christ, who've never taken that step of faith, I want to encourage you to take that step this morning, if you're ready. Maybe you're still seeking, searching, that's great. Keep coming, keep coming, keep listening to the word, keep seeking. But if you're ready, today's the day. This is the day of salvation for you. If this is that day for you, I want to encourage you to pray a prayer of faith. It's not a magic prayer, but I'll just give you the basics. The basics are, God, I don't want my sin anymore. I don't want the garbage of my life anymore. I don't want anything in my life that separates from me, me from you anymore. I turn away from that life. I turn, spiritually turn away from that sin. And I ask you to forgive me. I believe your son Jesus came and died on a cross for me. He took my place. He took my sin. I believe in him. I put my faith in him for my forgiveness. I give my life to you, God. I want to become the person you created me to be. I want the 
the great life that you have for me. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you came with a friend or family member. Maybe you know someone well here. Tell me. Tell me on the way out. Fill out that card and stick it in the box. Email me, call me, text me, anything. But tell me. We'll be, I want to be excited for you and to, to encourage you in your new faith. Tell somebody because something awesome has happened. Father, we're going to be going in just a moment out these doors back into the battle, back into life. Pray that your Holy Spirit would take the worship and take your word and empower us. Pray you would give us hope what we're facing, to give us hope knowing that you are riding shotgun. You're right beside us and you have it all in control and just keep us close to you in this, in this adventure we're on. Pray that in Jesus' name.